This is a little daunting being up here in the pulpit. <laughs> Keep thinking Pastor Rick preaches here. Ooh. I know you know how blessed you all are to be at this church, those of you who are here with Pastor Rick and various accompaniments that he brings with him. Um, what a wonderful church this is. We love this church and are always so glad when we get to visit and so grateful for the faithfulness of the ministry here. All right, session three. You've made it. Good for you. And you all still look kind of awake. It's a good thing we're not doing this after lunch because I know what happens at lunchtime. Ooh, everybody checks out. So we'll, we'll have our session and then you can enjoy some lunch and then maybe a nap. All right, so last night we looked at some precious indicatives from Philippians about who we are in Christ and thought about how these truths can help us in our battle with fear and anxiety. We are followers of Christ, being conformed to his image. God provides what he knows we need and he pours out his grace on us. And we are his forever. We need to think about those things regularly and let them just shape our souls that we can grow in trusting the Lord. And then we just looked at some familiar imperatives from Philippians about how not to give in to fear. I love to think about God's tender care for us, how he knows our tendency to be fearful and how he wants us to grow in this area. The Lord is for us. Sometimes we don't feel that way, but that's true. He is for us. He is with us. He loves us. He wants our best. And much of the battle that we face with our fears and our anxieties comes down to what we think and how we think. So we need God's grace to think rightly about the ups and downs and the challenges, the sufferings of our lives. We pray that we can obey these imperatives, that we can practice these new habits all by God's grace. So in this session, what I want to do is kind of pull all of this together because we've looked at a couple lists of things. And what I want to do is, is just combine things and talk about three main areas of focus, three overarching principles that I think sum up the things that we've been talking about. And so my hope is that we will all have kind of three categories, three principles that will help us as we pray about these things, as we do battle about with our fears and our anxieties. And I acknowledge we will all be tempted to be fearful. We know that that is coming. But I, my hope is that we can remember these three things to help us engage in the battle with our fear. We can train our minds, practice these things, and we can comfort our hearts with the peace that passes all understanding with truth from God's word. That's what we want to be taking in to fill our minds, to, to tutor and guard our hearts. So let's look at three main principles. The first one is fear God and fear nothing else. Fear God and fear nothing else. Perhaps you have heard this saying. I have, and I say it to myself frequently. It sounds like an overstatement, an oversimplification, doesn't it? But it isn't. It is true. And it, is, it gives us a goal 
for which to aim for, a way in which we want to be growing. This is true. This is what God wants us to believe. And I think this simple statement helps to put our fears in a truer perspective. I have seen this in my own life. I'm quite confident I am by far the oldest person in this room. I have seen the Lord's faithfulness for years and years and years. And as I have grown in seeing that, I really can do battle with my fears. I am quicker to see them and to, to realize where my thoughts are going astray and how I'm not thinking on truth and quicker to do battle with those things because I know more and more who God is. Again, it's one of these areas of proportionality. As we fear God more, all of our other fears diminish. So how can we grow in fearing the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? We're, com- we're familiar with the commandments to, to love the Lord, to obey the Lord, to trust the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Let's look at a biblical sense of fearing the Lord. On your handout, you'll see a definition of the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord means to tremble before him because of his holiness and justice, to trust him unreservedly, and to commit to obeying him for his glory and for our good. To fear the Lord means to tremble before him. That ties in with what we think of fear, doesn't it? That that awesomeness of who God is. I think of in Hebrews where we read that our God is a consuming fire. God is awesome in his greatness and glory, and we should tremble before him. But we also trust him unreservedly because we know that he loves us, that he is for us, he is faithful, he is wise, he is powerful. We can trust him with everything. And then because he's God, we commit to obeying him. He deserves it. He's God. He's our, our creator. He's our ruler. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's our father. We are his creation, his, his servant, his subject, and his adopted daughters. Do you think of yourself that way as God's adopted daughter? What privilege there is, what hope there is, what comfort there is in that, that he is our Heavenly Father. So some look, let's look at some passages that instruct us on fearing the Lord. Psalm 147, 10 and 11 reads in this way. God's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So here we see a literary device that we see often in the Bible and the Psalms and other places. Synonymous parallelism, right? Synonymous parallelism. Two phrases that express the same thing in different ways, but each one helps us understand the other phrase. So the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. What does that mean, to fear the Lord? Well, it means we hope in his steadfast love. 
We hope in his steadfast love. If we're growing and fearing the Lord, we are hoping in his love. Another verse, Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. I came across that verse recently, and I just love it. Rests satisfied. What a rich picture it is for those of us who are growing in knowing, loving, trusting, fearing the Lord. We are satisfied in him. That sounds to me like pretty much the opposite of being anxious and fearful, resting satisfied. Another verse I want to mention is Proverbs 28, 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So here we have another parallelism, but it's antithetical. It's the opposite. The one who fears the Lord always is blessed, but the opposite, whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. That gives us a good clue of what it means to fear the Lord, doesn't it? To have a hard heart means not to fear the Lord. So that's something I pray for myself frequently, that my heart will be soft and pliable and receptive and amenable to what God has for me. I don't want to be known as a hard-hearted person. I think of how the Israelites are sometimes described as being stiff-necked, you know, hard-hearted, stiff-necked, resisting God's Godship, God's leadership, God's authority, God's, God's rulership, rule, there's the word, God's rule in their lives. We do not want to be hard-hearted or stiff-necked. We want to be pliable and receptive to God's work. We need to recognize ways in which we are resisting the Lord and chafing at his providential work in our lives. Now turn to Psalm 33. Psalm 33, I want you to see this. This is a wonderful psalm about, <clears throat> excuse me, about fearing the Lord. And it talks about two aspects of fearing the Lord. We won't take time to read it all now, but I would encourage you sometime soon in your quiet time when you have a few minutes to read through this psalm. Um, the first half of the psalm, verses 1 through 12, describe God's greatness in his, in his creation, um, in the ways that he created the world. And then in verse 8, we read, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. As we think about just the glories of God's creation and the way that he spoke it into existence, it describes his awesome greatness, his greatness. And we are to fear the Lord because of his awesome greatness. But then the second part of the psalm talks more about his goodness, verses 13 to 22, where we read, well, he looked down from heaven, he sees man, he fashions hearts. Um, his, uh, the eye of the Lord, look at verse 18, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. So again, that parallelism, if we're fearing the Lord, we're hoping in him. 
And then verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So the second part of this psalm focuses more on fearing the Lord for his abundant goodness, his abundant goodness, his awesome greatness, his abundant goodness. We need to think both of these general categories when we think about trusting the Lord, about fearing the Lord. In order to properly fear him, we need a sense of both his greatness and his goodness, his majesty and his mercy, his transcendence, his otherness, then us, so far above us, and his eminence. He is with us. He is close to us. His justice and his gentleness. We need our view of the Lord to be informed by everything that he has revealed to us in his word. It's easy to kind of emphasize some aspects of God's character, some that are a little more um, palatable, especially to our culture around us, right? It's easy to emphasize those. God loves you. God will provide for you. But we need a full-orbed understanding of the character of God. God is just, and he will come to judge. God is righteous. He is holy. He's majestic. So we need to be constantly growing in our understanding of the character of God. This is what it means to fear the Lord. One way that we can grow in seeing God as weighty, more accurately as who he truly is, is to read good books about his character and his attributes. Let me encourage you to regularly read books that help you think bigger thoughts about God. There's some classics. If you haven't read, I would encourage you to read Knowing God by J.I. Packer. That book came out in 1973, which is the year I graduated from high school. I know you weren't even born yet. And um, I, my dad gave me a copy of that book for high school graduation. And he told me, if you're ever depressed or feeling anxious, read the chapter on the love of God, and it will help, help your soul. And it is so true. That is one of my all-time favorite books. Another one is The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Again, just attributes of God. The first sentence in that book is, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. How we need to be sure that our thoughts about God line up with his true revelation. Another book I would recommend is Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. Oh, if you're feeling fearful and anxious, that is a great book to go to. Read books that will stretch your mind with a bigger view of God. I am always amazed at how my fears shrink when I am having my mind stretched to begin to, to think weightier, bigger, truer truth about God. Think about the attributes that he displays and, and tells us in his word. Something else that I like to do when I go to bed. <laughs> I'm not a great sleeper, so I have all kinds of things that I try to do to get to sleep. But one of them is to think through 
the alphabet, A, B, C, and think of at least one attribute of God for each letter. That's really helpful, and it usually kind of calms my mind and quiets my heart, and it helps me go to sleep thinking about how big God is. Anything that we could do to think big thoughts of God is just so helpful. A number of years ago, I took a meal to a friend in, at our church. She had just had a baby, and I took a meal there, and they had just moved to a new house. We'd been praying for a long time for the Lord to provide a new house, and he did. It was a wonderful house. I was excited for her, and I was kind of running around the house seeing how, what a wonderful house it was, and I fell down the stairs. And I, I fell down, and I hit my head against the wall, and she said, oh, Jody, your head. And I said, no, my arm. <laughs> it's my arm. And I could tell I had broken my arm. That was my first broken bone. So I ended up at the hospital, and they were wheeling me down to, to take an x-ray. And the, the husband of the house came running into the hospital. He saw me going down the hall, and he said, Jody, Jody, are you okay? And what I yelled back was, God is sovereign, which I, I don't even know where that came from. Except, I mean, it's, it's what was in my heart. But everybody in the waiting room just whipped around, you know, what is she saying? But I was so glad that in that moment of great need for me, great pain, that was what came to my mind. I, the, the Lord so kindly had me marry a systematic theologian 45 years ago, and I've been hearing that a lot. So fill your mind with truth about the character of God. You never know when, when you might need to, to believe it. John MacArthur says, worry strikes a blow at the person and character of God. Worry strikes a blow at the person and character of God. So how can we strike a blow at worry? By focusing on the person and character of God. Secondly, we want to focus on God's word and his self-revelation. Focus on God's word and self-revelation. Now, we've been saying this, but I just want to reiterate the importance of it. We're blessed to have these books and resources available, but even better and even higher priority is to read and study what God tells us about himself. God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen to reveal what he knows we need to know to trust him, to fear him. Now, he hasn't revealed everything we would like to know. Sometimes I think, oh, I sure wish God had been a little bit more clear on this or that, which is so silly. It's just showing my pride. I don't know better than God. God knows infinitely, perfectly what we need to know, and he has made it clear in his word. We need to learn about the character of God and grow in fearing him as we read our Bible. One of my favorite sections of scripture for focusing on the character of God is the second part of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 66. Those chapters are majestic in the picture that they paint of our great God. He alone is God. There is no one like him. He demonstrates his deity by foretelling the future. He's transcendent above us. He is eminently with us. Read through some of those chapters slowly and thoughtfully, and you will find strength to battle your fears. We also see, as we read through our Bible, we see how different characters 
grew in fearing the Lord, in trusting the Lord as they turned to him in times of need. I want to mention one example. I just want to encourage you to be thinking about the fear of the Lord as you look through your Bible, as you read in different parts. So one example is found in the book of Isaiah. Let's turn to Isaiah 37. Isaiah 37. We're going to read about Hezekiah. You may remember Hezekiah was one of those better kings. And... Um, Sennacherib and the Assyrians came and attacked and they were surrounding the, the city of Jerusalem and telling the people within Jerusalem, don't, you know, your king is going to tell you to trust the Lord. Don't trust the Lord. We are going to get you. And Hezekiah, we read in Isaiah 37, verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hands of the messengers. So this threat from the Assyrians, they are uh, besieging Jerusalem. Hezekiah read it. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their hands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, Save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. I love this prayer, don't you? Hezekiah was in a very fearful situation, but he brought his fears to the Lord. He extolled the character of God. Such a good model for us when we pray to remember what we know, what God has revealed about his character, and to proclaim that to him, to worship him, to call him to be who he says he is. He pleaded with the Lord to save them because it would magnify the Lord in front of the surrounding communities. Hezekiah was thinking truly, rightly, thinking about God as he truly is. So one way to, to grow... Oh, Okay, in my study Bible, it has these notes on this, this prayer of Hezekiah. And I thought this was so helpful as we think about bringing our fears to the Lord. Yahweh, not Sennacherib, is alone truly sovereign and he can be trusted. Confident of God's sovereignty, Hezekiah prays honestly and desperately, asking that God would see hear and respond to the dire situation in a way that no idol could. Very often, our faith is the strongest when we come to see the depth of our need and our dependence. For in our weakness, the wonder of God's mercy and tender concern gives us hope and strength. Above all, we now have Christ as the greatest expression of God's power and mercy. Fear not. So helpful to rehearse in our minds and to recite in our prayers 
truth about the character of God, it reminds us we don't have to give in to fear. We don't need to be fearful. We bring those fears to him, the only one who can do what needs to be done. And we entrust ourselves to him, the one who will always do what is right, what is ultimately for our good. So friends, let me ask you, how often do you put God's word before your eyes and into your ears? How much time do you spend focused on learning about the character of God so you can grow in trusting him, in fearing him, in fearing him more and fearing everything else less? Are there steps that you could take, changes to your schedule that you can make to focus less on other things and more on the one true thing? How often do we give in to the multitude of distractions that are all around us? And how do these distractions help us in battling fear? If we're honest, I think we have to admit that sometimes those very distractions help us be more fearful. They expose us to things that tempt us to be afraid. Why do we do that? Why do we make it harder on ourselves? We, again, we need to just know ourselves and guard our minds and our hearts and feed our souls with the fear-conquering truth of who God is. So be careful. Monitor your mind. Guard your heart. Know where you are tempted to be fearful. Which fear are you feeding? Are you feeding the fear of the Lord in what you spend your time, what you focus on? Or is the gaze of your soul focused on the distractions and the temptations and indeed the hostilities of this world? the things that tempt us to be fearful and anxious. So by God's grace alone, may we be women who are growing in fearing the Lord more and more and more and fearing other things less. All right, our second foundational principle is to cultivate gospel-rich relationships. Cultivate gospel-rich relationships. I think it's interesting to think about how much of our fear is related to fear of man. Fears in this direction, kind of horizontal fears. We compare ourselves to others, and we think maybe we come out ahead, which feeds pride, sinful pride, or we come out behind, which feeds sinful despair. We think too much about what others think about us. We care too much about what others think about us. We fear displeasing others, disappointing others, offending others. Rather than fearing others, how should we relate? What should we focus on in our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ? I want to mention two main components of gospel-rich relationships. The first one is partnership. Partnership. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's return to Philippians and think a bit about Paul's relationship with the people to whom he wrote. We see that he had such a deep affection for these new believers, and he viewed them as partners in the gospel. So let's read some of these verses. Philippians 1, verses 3 and 4 and 8. Philippians 1, 3 and 4 and 8. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. For God is my witness how I yearned for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Oh, think of Paul's warm affection for the Philippians. In Philippians 1.27, we read uh, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This image of just deep unity committed to each other. Philippians 2, 19 to 22, we read this about Timothy. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not that of Christ, uh, those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And then Philippians 2, later in that chapter, we read what Paul wrote about Epaphroditus. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your minister, uh, your messenger and minister to my need. And then I love this in Philippians 4, verse 14, Paul says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Share my trouble. These beautiful descriptions of being partners in the gospel. So let's pull out a few of these descriptive words of the kind of friends that we should look for, the kind of friends that we want to be, the kind of, of relationships we want to be building with each other. We all need to find and we need to be partners in the gospel, friends who are genuinely concerned for the welfare of others, who will share in each other's troubles, people who display a servant heart, and people who seek the interest of Christ above their own, pursuing unity rather than disunity. Let me say those again. We want to find, we want to be partners in the gospel, friends who are genuinely concerned for the welfare of others, who will share in each other's troubles, people who display a servant heart, and people who seek the interest of Christ above their own, pursuing unity rather than disunity. We don't want to be like Euodia and Syntyche who had to be urged to agree in the Lord in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. How would you feel to have your names recorded in God's word as women who just couldn't get along? Yikes. Oh, that's not worthy of the gospel of Christ. We want to be women who are pursuing gospel unity. And as we grow in these kinds of relationships, these kind of partnerships, we will find strength to fight our fears. We're partners. We're not competitors. We don't need to compete with others for our piece of the pie. There's plenty of pie to go around because God is so gracious. Lou Priolo wrote this about pleasing people, just such a common fear for us. By seeking to please man rather than God, you set yourself up to be plagued by anxiety. Anxiety or worry will steal the peace and joy that are part of your birthright as a Christian. How much time do you spend thinking about how to avoid displeasing others? 
When you are overly concerned about displeasing others, you are worrying about what they will think of you or how they might reject you or how they might cause you grief in some other way. And worry is a sin. So how can we battle this, this fear of man that just tempts us so much? How can we cultivate a, a partnership mentality? Here are a couple of thoughts. One, replace what does he, she think with what does God think? Replace what do others think with what does God think? Replace that, you know, that one person that looms large in your mind. You really want her approval. You really want to be like her. You really want to be accepted by her. But replace that, what does she think, with what does God think? I think I mentioned last year that my mother was pretty consumed with what others think. I heard that phrase, what will people think over and over and over when I was growing up. Thankfully, I heard my dad's antidote to that phrase, which was, if only we knew how little people think about us. <laughs> and it's so true because we're all thinking about ourselves, but we think others are thinking about us. Um, God so graciously had me marry a man who cares so much about what God thinks that he just doesn't care very much about what people think. And that has been such a help to me over the years. So Lou Priolo goes on to say, the best way to dethrone this approval idol, ooh, approval idol, making the approval of others so ultimate, is to prayerfully develop a desire and cultivate an appetite for the approval of the one who righteously judges not only your words, actions, and attitudes, but also the thoughts and intentions of your heart. So let us think more about what God thinks and less about what others think. And just wean ourselves off of that fear of man that keeps us from so much um, partnership and genuine love and service for others. Another thought, replace harmful comparison toward others with comparison of what I deserve and what I have been given in Christ. I was alluding to this last night. God doesn't call me to be like you or better than you or, or to feel defeated about being worse than you. He calls each one of us to be more like Christ. That needs to be our direction, our focus, where we are aiming. May our gaze be upward, seeing ways in which we need to grow in Christ's likeness. God loves a variety, and he made us all different. That's a good thing. He knows, and then he knows how best to make each one of us more like Christ, so that I, by God's grace, will become a more Christ-like Jody, and you will become a more Christ-like Marin. Each one of us growing in ways that are us, who God has made us, but more Christ-like. So we could trust God to do that work in each other's, we, in ourselves and in each other. Let us be quick to point out ways, evidences of God's work, God's grace in other people's lives. That's a good way to fight at our fear of man, is look for ways in which we could genuinely encourage others as we see the Lord using, using them. Let us forget ourselves and have eyes to see how God is blessing and using others. Okay, so partnership. 
That's one way I want us to think about each other. A second area of our our gospel-rich relationships is accountability. Accountability. Accountability can help us so much to do battle with our fears. Bringing our fears out into the light reduces their power to control us. Have you seen that? When you talk with somebody else, really open your heart and explain what's going on, what it is that you're fearful about. That fear loses some of its power. Somebody else is hearing, listening, and praying with you, but it's just bringing it out into the light rather than let it fester in the darkness of your soul. I think isolation makes us more susceptible to sin. It is easy for me to justify my own sin if I'm the only one who knows about it. And that's true for fear and anxiety. I may cover it up and put on a happy face and no one knows what's going on in my heart. But if I'm hesitant to confess my sin, if I'm slow to be open about my fears, that's evidence that I fear man too much and God too little. We are not each other's enemies. We are each other's gospel partners. And sin is the enemy. So I need you to help me fight my sin, and you need me to help you fight your sin. So I encourage you to grow at least one relationship where you are able to be honest about your fears and have someone else bear that burden with you. Have someone else speak truth to you. We want to listen well, we want to empathize, we want to understand, but ultimately, we want to bring truth to bear in that situation. That's what our friend truly needs. So cultivate that kind of openness with a friend. So that's gospel-rich partnerships, partner, a partner and accountability. And then third, our third principle, foundational principle, is that we want to do battle with the devil and his domain. We want to do battle with the devil in his domain. So our first two principles are fighting within our own flesh, our, our pride, our struggles to think rightly about God and others and ourselves. This third principle focuses on fighting without, fighting our two chief external enemies, the devil and the world. Let's think together about this battle. The devil is out to destroy our souls He does all that he can to keep us from trusting the Lord and from fearing the Lord. He does all that he can to have us paralyzed by fear and anxiety. That is where he wants us. And he has his wily ways to accomplish that. I want to read for you a few texts that just remind us how he is against us. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. That is Satan. The the air that we breathe. I mean, Satan is just everywhere and doing, doing so much to defeat us. He wants us to sin. He wants us to disobey. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here Satan is called the God of this world. He has a lot of power in this world. And one of his chief strategies is to keep unbelievers from seeing the glory of Christ, the light of the gospel. 2 Timothy 2.26 says, uh, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That is what we were before we were redeemed by Christ. We were ensnared by the devil, captured by him to do his will. He has a lot of power. Outside of Christ, we were ensnared, unwittingly doing his will. And then 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What a vivid picture that is, a roaring lion out to eat us. How we need to be on guard. Satan loves for us to be mired in fear and anxiety. And if we're so focused on fearful things, so inward looking, we're not living in a way that brings glory to God and edification to those around us. We can't obey the two great commandments, love God and love others. So I've been thinking more about what Satan wants for us to be fearful and what God wants for us to fear and trust him. I've kind of developed a new strategy. When something happens that tempts me to be fearful, I try to stop and think, how does God want me to respond? How does Satan want me to respond? Well, God would want this. He would want me to think this. Satan wants me to do this, and I don't want to give him that victory. I don't want to follow Satan's ways. How I need God's help by his spirit to resist that temptation to give in because Satan wants me to be fearful. Now, I'm old enough to remember a lot of talk about spiritual warfare. I remember when the Left Behind books came out, and there was a lot of buzz. Um, but since then, it seems like the pendulum has kind of swung in the other direction. And we don't hear much about Satan and his prowling around. We need balance. We need to be sober-minded, watchful, and aware. Not afraid. Aware, not afraid. Because 1 John 4, 4 reminds us, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You might take time soon to read through Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare. That, it helps us to see what is actually going on that we don't always think about. But it reminds us again of the tools that God has graciously given us to fight this battle. We have truth. We have Christ's imputed righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. Let us be quick to use the tools that God has given us to fight against Satan's wily ways, the ways in which he tempts us to be fearful and afraid. So as we share our struggles with each other and the things that tempt us to be fearful, the anxieties that overwhelm us, may we be quick to point each other to Christ, to all that he is and all that he has done. And may we partner together, striving side by side to withstand our enemy, the devil. 
And then the other enemy that is external to us is the world. We live in this world. There's nowhere else we can go, but we need to recognize that the devil is the ruler of this world, and the citizens of this world are ensnared by him to do his will. There is a lot around us that tempts us to be fearful. But I want to mention just a couple of things. First, we have access to knowing more what is going on in the world than we ever have, right? There's some good to that. I certainly am thankful to be able to communicate with missionaries around the world. I'm really thankful to be able to look on my phone and find out if my husband made his flight, you know, where he is. There's so much good. But there can be so much harm in knowing and seeing and bearing the weight of things that were not designed to bear the weight. We are frail human beings. I am more and more convinced of that. And so we need to be careful to not take in too much of all that is out there that is going to, to cause us to be fearful. We need to be growing as women of discernment. Do you pray that for yourself? That's an important prayer. We need to grow in discernment. We need to know what we should know, where we should limit our knowledge. We need wisdom from the Lord to navigate all of this. Oh, so are you prone to spending hours a day focused on finding out what is happening? Or are you tempted to put your head in the sand and not know anything at all? We need discernment to be aware of the things that we ought to know, things that we ought to be praying about, things that ought to move us to compassion and to care. But we need to guard against knowing too much about everything. But also, related to all this access, we need to recognize that we can be influenced by this worldview of things around us that is that denies God and is hostile to Christianity. This is increasingly in the air that we breathe, and we need to be aware of that. Be careful of how much of the world, the hostile world, we let um, into our minds to let us be influenced by it. This can happen in blatant ways, you know, ways where we really see, oh, this is in contrast to the Word of God, but also in subtle ways, ways in which we're tempted to trust in other things rather than trusting in the Lord. We're tempted to give too much weight to the things of this world, and correspondingly, then our hearts grow colder toward the Lord, and we are left more vulnerable to fear and anxiety as we let that influence in. So let us guard our minds and our hearts. Let us limit the influence of the world and the God of this world. Let's monitor our minds. Think about how much we can pay attention to things of this world, probably less than you think. And let's learn the incredible value of focusing more on the things that truly matter, the things of God, the things that last forever. As we close, I would like to read for you the lyrics to one of my favorite hymns. It is one to which I return again and again when I am tempted to be fearful and anxious. It reminds me of glorious truth and just calms my heart. I pray it will do the same for you. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. 
Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, your God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joy restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your character. We thank you that you are God, the one true and living God. And in your mercy, you have made these truths true to us. You've opened our eyes. You've unstopped our ears. You've softened our hard hearts. You've called us to yourself in your mercy. And we thank you that because of who you are, we don't have to give in to other fears. Lord, help us grow in knowing and trusting and fearing you. Help us grow in pursuing gospel-rich relationships with each other. And help us do battle with the devil and with the world that we might be women who are marked by calm, still souls, thinking truthfully and rightfully about all that is here in this world, all that tempts us to be fearful, but also thinking regularly about what the sure and certain future holds for those of us who are hoping in Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.